It's a beautiful day in this neighborhood, a beautiful day for a neighbor. Would you be mine? Could you be mine? It's a neighborly day in this beauty wood, a neighborly day for a beauty. Would you be mine? Could you be mine? I have always wanted to have a neighbor just like you. I've always wanted to live in a neighborhood with you. So let's make the most of this beautiful day. Since we're together, we might as well say, would you be mine? Could you be mine? Would you be my neighbor? Won't you please? Won't you please? Please won't you be my neighbor? And so we're neighbors again today. I'm glad to be with you. Amen. So we are in Neighbor Day. Everybody say Neighbor Day. Turn the lights up in the house just a second. Do we have anyone that brought their neighbor? If you did, would, if you, did, would you stand, please, real quick? Okay, same situation. If you're here for the first time, stand. Even if nobody brought you, you brought yourself, stand. All right, come on up here, would you? What's your name? Dixie. Dixie, come on, stand up here with me. Everybody say hello to Dixie. We're so glad you're here. We want you to be our neighbor. And Dixie, just to show you our appreciation, I got something in my pocket. $25 gift card to Cracker Barrel. Thank you. <laughs> Don't anybody dare stand up now. So, Neighbor Day, and uh, the message I want to preach to you this morning is called, the title is, Won't You Be My Neighbor? Would you turn around, look at the person sitting next to you and say, Won't You Be My Neighbor? So, <clears throat> I, I, I thought about this, and Mr. Rogers spent his life uh, on a television show teaching children about being a good neighbor, about what that meant. And he didn't just teach about that, but he actually lived that out. If you read anything about his life, you'll discover that he was a good neighbor, that he uh, took time with people. Even when the producers were upset with him, he would stop the television production and take time to talk to someone to let them know that he valued them and that they were important and I thought about Jesus and the emphasis he put on being a neighbor and what that meant In the book of Luke the 10th chapter Jesus tells a story and there are five main characters in that story one of those characters is a businessman Everybody say, a businessman. Uh, Ed, come up here, would you please, and be my businessman. And a businessman is what? A businessman is interested in what? Huh? Business. Business. <laughs> he wants to turn a profit. Everybody say, make a profit. Okay, so he's, he's a businessman. Okay, stand up here behind me, if you would. Sure. The next person was a priest and the priest is the one that's offers the sacrifice to God on behalf of the people he's the one that leads people in worship teaches them about God and so I need a Alex would you come and be my priest please everybody give the priest a hand <laughs> then there was a Levite and the Levite was the priest's assistant. Doug, would you come and give me a hand? The Levite was the priest's assistant. And he had to assist him with the things in the temple and to make sure that the temple was kept clean and right. And then there was a, uh, let me see, 
Yeah, thank you. I, I, I had to count. Then there was a Samaritan, and the Samaritan uh, was someone that the Jews despised, that they, they didn't like them at all. And they were, they were just considered less than. Paul, would you come and be my Samaritan? I know he slid all the way to the back hoping that I wouldn't spot him. As the Samaritan comes, give him a hand, would you? And then finally, there, there is a Jewish man that is robbed, beaten, and left for dead. Brian, would you come up here? I am going to need some volunteers to beat Brian up, rob him, and leave him. Wave your hand if you, no, I'm kidding, don't do that. Come on up, thank you. Now, here, hurry, Brian, you're holding up. There we go. All right, here we go. So this is what happens. This is how the story unfolds. Everybody take a step back. And so the, the center character of the story becomes, actually, the, the center character of this story becomes the Samaritan. But there's the, this man is center to the Samaritan, too. And so he gets robbed, beat up, knocked down, and left. Go ahead. It'd be better for you to lay down than me knock you down. Okay. Lay, lay, there you go. All right. So he's, he's laid out. He's laid out. And, the, and then Jesus tells the story. Now, while, before I, I get that far, I just, you look like you'd had a hard day, so I was trying to get you some rest. I need to read a scripture for you. This is about 25 verses. I'm kidding. Okay. okay. Uh, let me read this. This is Luke. 10 starting with verse 25 I just want to read a couple passages here one day an expert in religious law stood up to test Jesus by asking him the question teacher what should I do to inherit eternal life everybody say how do I get to heaven he says what should I do to inherit eternal life Jesus replied what does the law of Moses say now Jesus doesn't tell him he asks him what does the law of Moses say? And the man responds, he said, Jesus said, how do you read it? The man answered, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, and all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Right, Jesus told him, do this and you will live. The man wanted to justify his actions so he asked Jesus, who is my neighbor? And with that, Jesus unfolds this story. A Jewish man traveling from Jerusalem to Jericho is taken by thieves, robbed, beaten, severely beaten, stomped on, left for dead. The priest, the man that leads the people in worship, the man that is the focal point of the temple, the man that is supposed to intercede between you and God, comes by, happens by, and he sees this man, and let's see how he responds. He goes the other way. He sees this guy, a Jewish man, a man that he's supposed to care about, a man that he represents the presence of God to, interceding for them on behalf of God, and he literally goes the other way. Now, there's a guy that works with him, and he takes care of the temple, and he assists in there, so he knows all about how you're supposed to treat people, and he does the same thing, takes one look and walks by the other way. But there's a Samaritan. The man that the Jews despise. The man that Jews will not have anything to do with. They will not eat with them. They will not sit with them. They make sure to keep as far away from them as they can. The Samaritan man comes by and he sees the Jewish man. They recognized each other by sight. They, he sees the Jewish man and his response is he gets down and whispers in his ear, I hope you die. 
No, no, he did not do that. That's what you would think his response would be. But what he does is he goes and he helps the man. He gets him up. He doesn't just get him up, but he ministers to him. He literally begins to patch him up. Everybody say he's, he, he does a patch-up job on him. He, he, he takes care of his wounds. He pours in oil and wine to help the healing process. And then he finds the businessman. When the businessman sees him, he, he says, oh, you, he can stay here free of charge. Uh-uh. He doesn't say that. As a matter of fact, he's in business for a profit. He doesn't even offer to put the guy up after he sees what this man has done for him. So what's the man do that's despised by the Jews? He pays the innkeeper. He says, you keep him here until he gets better. You feed him. Give him a place to rest. And if you spend anything else, if you spend more than I'm giving you, when I come back by, I'll take care of that. I'll stand good for it. This guy's got a smile on his face because it's a good day. And so they make the deal. He takes care of the man that's been robbed. No, you're not shaking anybody's hand yet. You're going to bed. He takes care of the man that's been robbed, and the Samaritan goes on his way. Give them a great big hand, would you? Thank you, guys. So... Now, here's what happens. Jesus lays this story out to the man, and then he asks the question, because a man, the Bible said that the man wanted to justify his actions. Think about that. What's that mean? What actions would he want to justify? Could it be that he didn't have much to do with people? Could it be that, he, that because he doesn't reach out to others. He's saying, well, who's my neighbor? Who am I supposed to love like myself? And when Jesus finishes this story, once again, he doesn't answer the question. He asks the question, who was that man's neighbor? And having heard that, the young man looks at him and he said, I suppose the one that ministered to his needs the one that helped him and he said Jesus said that's right now you go and do likewise but the question remains who is the neighbor he identifies him here but how do we identify who our neighbor is look at your friend one more time and say won't you be my neighbor now look at somebody that you don't know and say, won't you be my neighbor? See, to really be able to identify who the neighbor is, we need to understand the term neighbor. What, what is that word referring to? And so if you look at that word, that word shows up 17 times in Scripture. 17 times. This is what it means. It means near, close by, fellow man. And it shows up 17 times in Scripture as neighbor. Well, let me reel that back in. It shows up 16 times in Scripture as neighbor, but the same word shows up in another passage, but it's used differently. Same definition. But it's not translated neighbor. It's found in St. John 4. If you would go there with me, St. John, the fourth chapter and the fifth verse. Let's look at it together. Then cometh he to the city of Samaria, everybody say Samaria, which is called Sychar, near to the parcel of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Do you spot it? Do you see the word? The same word that's used for neighbor in Luke. Look at it again. Throw it up one more time. Look at it again. Do you see it? It's right after the word sychar. It's the word near. Everybody say near. Now that in and of itself may not be that big a deal to you, but if you, if you know what the fourth chapter of John talks about, it gets really interesting. I thought out of all the places 
in Scripture that this word is used this way, it's located here. No place else in Scripture is it used like this. Every place else it's used as neighbor, just like it did in Luke. But here it's used near. Let's talk about this passage. Let's talk about the story this passage tells. It's the story of the woman at the well. And she's where? Where is Jesus at when this happens? He's in Samaria. Who stops to show the Jew kindness? A Samaritan. And in this passage, it's a Jew that stops to show a Samaritan kindness. In Luke, Jesus tells a story about a man that is looked down on showing the other man kindness. But in John, Jesus is the Jew, and he's showing the despised kindness. Don't you think that odd that it would show up here? What's he trying to communicate to us? I leave for your consideration this, that Jesus didn't just happen upon Samaria. He didn't just happen on that well. He showed up there intentionally. He sent his disciples away intentionally because he knew there was a woman that was going to show up at that well that needed to know God is a good neighbor. <laughs> and when that woman showed up, he looked at her and he said, could you give me some water to drink? And she said, man, you're a Jew and I'm a Samaritan. You, you got nothing to do with me. How many of us felt like that? People don't want nothing to do with us. And we feel like we're ostracized or pushed out. But here Jesus is intentionally bringing this woman in. And he said, if you knew who was asking you for water, you'd be asking him. And he would give you water that would cause you never to thirst again. He looked at him and said, how are you going to get water? This, this well's deep and you don't have anything to draw with. He said, you, you drink from this and you're going to have to come back here. But if you come to me and you get the water that I'm talking about, you'll never have to come back to this place. It'll be like a well springing up inside of you. And she says, give me this water. Why? Because she hated going to that well. She went at noon Women went to the well in the morning when it, was, when it was cool outside, not at noon. Why is she there at noon? Because she's tired of all the talk. She's tired of being looked down on. She's tired of being talked about. Oh, here she comes. Which husband is she on now? Number five? No, no, no. She's had five and she's living with this guy. And when Jesus unfolds that to her, she didn't offer that information. Jesus knew that information. And when he exposes that to her, a lot of people miss the power of what happened. She immediately tries to change the subject. And, and, and we teach and we preach about things, but sometimes the thing that we're not preaching about is what he didn't say. He didn't say, get out of my face he didn't say, I can't believe you've done that. What he did say was, go and get your husband. What was he doing? He was setting her up to let her know that today can be the first day of the rest of your life. I'm not going to hold your past against you. I'm going to free you and give you what you've been longing for. Won't you be my neighbor? Man. God makes a good neighbor, don't he? I mean, how many of you have had some neighbors you wish they'd move off? How many of you ever moved off because of the neighbors you had? And yet here is Jesus, and what he's doing is he's relating to this young man that asked him about how do I get eternal life. He's relating to him that your neighbor is not the person that you live next door to. It's the person that's close to you in proximity of where you are right now. I met, my, my wife makes a good neighbor. 
she talks to everybody, man. I mean, just you, I, I can't go to town without her talking to somebody. The thing is, is that she's made neighbors all over the place with complete strangers. You know, she, she'll go into JCPenney to shop, and all of a sudden, you know, I'm, I'm getting ready to walk up and say, hey, you're about ready to go. And I walk up, and I see her in a conversation. And the closer I get, the more I realize that this isn't any ordinary conversation. You know, when you've got a complete stranger by the hand and that stranger's crying, you have either slapped them really hard or God is at work on their heart. Become a good neighbor. And so what Jesus does is in John, he shows us the word near. He hadn't been near her before. He went there so he could be near her in Luke these people that should have shown the love of God pass by him but the man that's despised by the Jewish race is the one that helps them because he happened to pass by him don't be in too big of a hurry to pass by someone you might ought to stop and just ask the question would you be my neighbor? Would you be my neighbor? That man laying on the ground half dead needed a good neighbor. He needed someone that would care, someone that would understand. Let me take this even a step further. If you look in Proverbs 22 and 28, it makes a statement. It says, do not remove the ancient landmark which your fathers have set. In the New Living Translation, it expands on what the meaning of this is. Now, we, we get, well, let me read it in the NLT. Don't cheat your neighbor by moving ancient boundary markers set up by previous generations. Now, we understand the natural meaning of that, right? It's talking about borders on property. Don't cheat your neighbor by lifting those markers up and encroaching on his land and tagging it out like you own more than you really do. Don't move the ancient boundaries that were set by your forefathers. But it dawned on me when I was studying this, I thought, now wait a minute. Everything that happens in the natural world has a spiritual correlation. And so I began to look at that and I thought, what's the spiritual correlation of this? And it dawned on me. There are other boundaries that we set too. And what did, what did he say? Don't cheat your neighbor by moving these boundaries. As I began to think on this, I thought about, man, this is happening in the hour and the day we're living. These boundaries are being moved and we're cheating people. What are you talking about, Pastor? What boundaries? What about our moral boundaries? What about boundaries of trust and integrity? What about boundaries of generosity, thanksgiving, and gratitude? You see, those things are all boundaries as well. But we live in a world that is moving the boundaries, that is not showing the love of God that's not showing the moral boundary that God set. Why? Because they've forsaken God. I was watching the news this past week, and a, 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 a young man stabbed a guy in the middle of the street and killed him and didn't even know him. He walked by him. There, there was a video clip of it. He walked by this man and his girlfriend, and after he walked by, he kicked something, turned around and walked back and said, what are you looking at? And took a knife and stabbed the guy three times and killed him. I'm thinking, what is going on? How is this? It's because our boundaries have been moved. 
When you take prayer out of school, you do more than just affect what's going on in a classroom. You affect what's going on in a heart. When you want, when we as leaders don't acknowledge God, how can you expect the next generation to acknowledge God? When we no longer stand and say, listen, we've got movements in government that are trying to get in God we trust off the back of the coin. Can I tell you that if they remember move it, it's not going to take it out of my heart. If they take it off of the quarter, it's not going to take it away from me. Do you understand? I still believe that we're one nation under God. I believe it was President Reagan that made the statement. He said, if we ever cease to be one nation under God, we will be a nation gone under. And there's more truth to that than you realize. These ancient boundaries, we cheat our neighbors. We cheat people around us when we allow them to be moved. You remember the old saying, you can take the boy out of the country, but you can't do what? You can try and take... your. And, 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 and I understand that in 2020, you know, nobody knew what was going on with a virus, right? What I did know, and if you can ask anybody that was in close proximity to me, when they made the statement and said the churches are going to be closed down, I was not a happy camper. As a matter of fact, I was pretty upset. But I, I had to reel my emotions in and think about boundaries. And I thought, now wait a minute. I, you know, because I was, I, I was ready to fly into FASA. And then I got to thinking, I thought, now wait a minute. I, I, let me think this through a minute because if I say I'm not going to close the church, then people might construe that as meaning that I don't care about them. That I'm going to throw all these people together and there might be some that feel like I'm gambling with their health. And I thought, that's not what I want to communicate. And so after praying about it and meditating on it and looking at our parking lot, I thought, wow, our parking lot looks like a drive-in theater. (laughs) Thank God for that parking lot. And I thought, you know what? We could do that. We could have a drive-in church service. I called the sheriff's department up and I said, hey, I'm just letting you know. I'm not asking permission. I'm just letting you know that if you get a call Sunday on disturbing the peace, it's probably me. I said, we're going to be outside in the parking lot having church. He said, thank you so much for calling. Would you call the health department? Let them know. I said, yeah, I can do that. Called the health department. Hello? This is pastor at Christ Community Church. Just letting you know, not asking permission. Just letting you know, we're going to be in the parking lot having service. They said, well, would you do us a favor and not have a public bathroom available? I said, yeah, we can do that. We're only going to be out there for an hour. And if we got folks that can't go to church for an hour without needing a bathroom, they probably ought to stay home. Because there's probably something going on, you know. We don't want anybody having accidents. And so we, and, and, and then they said, and also, you know, if you'll mark six feet off on the stage, you know, singers stand six feet. We did that. We stood six feet apart. Of course, when we were inside, we were hugging each other. But we were six feet apart on that stage. You got to comply. What I'm saying is this, is I realized that, look, we've got, we need each other. We desperately need one another. It's not enough to watch a service online. I I need to see your smiling face. And I watched it in this parking lot. I watched people would roll down windows and smile and wave at one another. And finally they got out of cars and sitting in the back of pickup trucks and waving at each other. And I thought, and it did something for us. It gave us a neighbor. It gave us a sense of belonging and 
and the feeling of being loved. Won't you be my neighbor? In Matthew 7, when, here's the deal. There was a time that life was different. That's, let me say it this way. That society was different. Because if you're a believer, you ought to be just like Jesus Christ. The same yesterday, today, and forever. Amen. I'm not different outside of this pulpit than I am behind this pulpit. If you know me, you know that. I, I, I don't, I, and I, I, I was around plastic religion a large part of my life, you know. I saw all that stuff. Praise the Lord, everyone. And it was like, man, do you really talk that way? <laughs> I mean, is that, is that, and, and so for me, it had to be real. Everybody say, make it real. Because here's what I found out, man. If, if you start play acting in here, you're going to be doing the same thing out there. And this isn't about play acting. This is about the real deal. Everybody say, the real deal. Won't you be my neighbor? And so it, society used to be different. It used to be that we showed respect for one another. Do you know why? It's because we honored God. We honored God. We, my dad didn't raise me in church. He came to church when I was baptized, and he, he came one time to a revival, but he didn't raise me in church. But he did raise me to obey the golden rule. How many of you know what the golden rule is? Really, that's good. You, you know that. Last service, I asked Jasmine if she knew what the golden rule was, and she looked like a deer in headlights. No, no, she immediately, she immediately said, yeah, I know what that is. What is it, Jasmine? Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. You know where she got that? Off of Sesame Street. No, she didn't learn it in Sesame Street. You know where she learned it? From her parents. Because her parents were communicating something to her that society would not. Her parents were giving her something that teachers couldn't give her. Her parents were giving her something that she would hold on to. Why would they do that? Why would they communicate that? Because they wanted to make sure she was a good neighbor. They wanted to make sure that she had something in her that she could pass to future generations. Don't move those boundaries. But you can't communicate it effectively to your children if you don't do it yourself. My dad, some of the things that my dad taught me, he used to tell me, if you don't have something good to say about somebody, I didn't know you knew my dad. <laughs> don't, don't say, so he also communed things like this. Shut that door, boy. Thank you. Were you raised in a barn? When the air conditioner was on, it changed. Shut that door. You trying to cool all of the outdoors? Turn off that light. When you leave a room, turn off a light. That so got ingrained in me, I wear my wife out, man. She said, would you quit turning these lights off? I need atmosphere. And we get it now, it's a lot cheaper, it's LED. What I'm saying is this, is he communicated things to me to make sure that boundaries weren't moved. That's what Jesus is doing. He's communicating to this young man something that is essential, something he needs to learn. Who is your neighbor? He told him, he said, you go and do likewise. And here he communicates in Matthew 7 and 12 the golden rule, do to others whatever you would like them to do to you. This is the essence of all that is taught in the law and prophets. Did you get that? He's saying everything about the law, this is the essence of it. Matter of fact, Jesus would make a statement one time. They asked him, which is the greatest commandment? And he told them to love the Lord thy God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. 
And he said, and the second is like unto it, that you love your neighbor as yourself. And I thought, do we, do we see what he's doing? Do we get it? That he is saying that everything about God rests in love. Boy, it got quiet. Anybody holding a grudge? <laughs> Let it go. Let it go. Let it. You got to let it go. You can't hold on to that stuff. He's saying, I want you to learn the essence of a good neighbor. And that means that wherever I'm at and whomever I'm around, if I see them hurting, then I need to show them the love of God. If I see them in need, I need to show them the love of God. Let me ask you a question. Did you ever need a good neighbor? Wave your hand if you've ever needed a good neighbor. Did you ever need someone that, did you ever pray, God, just send me somebody? Listen to what Jesus says in John 13, 35. By this shall all men know that you're my disciples if you have love one to another. I, I talked about, in the first service I talked about him, this is how people know that you're his disciples is if they see that love. How many of you know what a cocoon is? Anybody ever seen a cocoon? Wave your hand if you've ever seen a cocoon. You know what I'm talking about? How many of you, when you've seen a cocoon, went, ah! and started yelling for all your friends to come? You got to come and look at this cocoon. You, you need to see this cocoon. Anybody? Are you sure you've seen a cocoon? And you didn't get excited about it? How many of you have ever smashed a cocoon? Huh? You know what I'm talking about? We had, we had cocoons out here on this tree in front of the church. And I started, I thought, what are these things doing to this tree? And I started pulling them off and I smashed it. It's nasty. There's a worm in that cocoon. So if you're not careful, you could come away thinking that the only thing in cocoons are worms. In other words, what's a cocoon do? It isolates you. It keeps you all to yourself. But that's not what God wants for us. Now think about this. You say, what's that got to do with us? I'm going to tell you. Because when God first deals with us, that's how he finds us in cocoons alone and all by ourselves, but he doesn't reach out and smash the cocoon what he does is give us a chance to flourish and he's saying you can't stay in that cocoon your whole life you don't want folks thinking you're a worm you don't want people thinking you're isolated and stuck up. And, but if, if you, come on, you can come out of it. You can trust me. Come out of the cocoon. How many of you have ever had a cat show up at your house or a dog show up at your house and you had to coax them? I got, some, I, I got two cats at the house that another cat had. So I guess they're technically kittens. But they're stray, and they've been living wild, but they, they, they're up on my porch, and man, they, they acted like they were hungry. So I went, and I got a little piece of ham, and I tore it off, and I held it out like that. I said, hmm, kitty, 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 kitty. And they came, they came up real apprehensive. And then all of a sudden, they, they grabbed that out of my hand. And then I thought, oh, and I got excited. Ha, ripped off another piece. He didn't take it out of my hand the way I thought he was going to. See, one of them came up and he just grabbed it with his mouth and took it out. The other one slapped my hand with its claw and then grabbed it. <laughs> oh, worm you. In other words, when you stay isolated and alone, you have a tendency to strike out. But if you get, let God develop you, you know what I've seen come out of those cocoons? Some of the most beautiful butterflies you've ever seen. And I got to tell you, when I've seen those butterflies, 
I have gone. Hey, Debbie, Debbie, come and look at this butterfly. Look at this butterfly. Look, isn't that beautiful? I have taken my grandchildren and shown them butterflies. I have gone into museums where they've got a display of butterflies. I have watched documentaries on monarch butterflies, millions of them just floating around and flying. And I'm transfixed by the beauty of the butterfly. Why? Because there's been a transformation. By this shall all men know you're my disciples, is that you look like a butterfly. <laughs> is that you have love one to another. He said something about love that lights your face up. Something about love that changes your countenance. You know, I, I, I thought about this in between services. I wonder if the Jew ever got the opportunity to thank the Samaritan. I wonder if he ever came back by. I wonder if when he did come back by, if the Jew was already gone. I don't know. But I do know this, that from that day on, that Jewish man had a totally different feeling about Samaritans. <laughs> Now, you may have been hurt in church at some point in your life. You may have felt like you were beaten, robbed, and abandoned. Somebody may have done or said something to you that wasn't right. I'm here to ask you today, won't you be my neighbor? Give me an opportunity to love you. Give us an opportunity to wrap our arms around you and show you that God is real and he cares. I'm going to ask a question, and I don't, I, I, this is not self-serving. I'm, I'm trying to prove something. I want to show something. How many of you that are here today came here you made your visit while I was pastor. Your first visit was while I was pastor. I want you to hold your hand up if you would. Just hold it up for a second. Hold it up. Keep it up. Now here's my next question. You can put your hands down. Here's my next question. How many of you came back because you felt loved? I want you to stand up. Wow. You mean it wasn't my incredible preaching that brought you back? It wasn't my ability to sing on key that brought you here? No. And I'm smart enough to know that. I know what brought you back. It's because there were butterflies all over this building that spread their wings and let you know you're loved, you're valued, you're cared about. You have worth. You can be seated now. Thank you. So now, here's my next question. If you're here and you've felt robbed, beaten, and abandoned, I'm going to ask you to come to the front of this building today and give us an opportunity to love you. Actually, I guess I, I need to rephrase that because it's not us loving you that's going to make the difference. Give us an opportunity to show you how much God loves you. Amen. I'm going to hold for just a moment. If you're here and you've been there, you know what I'm talking about. You've been to that place in your life. And this isn't anything to be embarrassed about. At some point in time, we've all felt robbed. At some point in time, we've all felt beaten. Words that hit harder than rocks. At some point in time, we've all felt abandoned. The truth is, I thought God had abandoned me. because of a series of events that happened in my life 
I felt like, God, how could you do that? How could you let that happen? God doesn't run away when you start asking questions. What God does is he gently and softly begins to bring the answers. And that's what he did for me. God started talking to my heart before I really knew him. And he reminded me of a prayer I had prayed years ago. And I was a kid then. I was 15 when that happened. But he reminded me of a prayer I had prayed back when I was probably about 10. And he showed me how that in the pain I was feeling, God had answered my prayer. And at that moment, healing took place in my heart. Oh, don't misunderstand me. It wasn't like I got on fire for God. I was still a rascal for a while. And it wasn't like I started doing everything right. There was a lot of stuff I did wrong. But from that point on, I never questioned about a God that loved me. If you're in here today and you need to know that, you need to know that there's a God that loves you. I'm going to ask you to come to the front right now. I want to pray with you. We're going to wait for just a moment as they sing this song. Would you worship with them as they sing this together? Come on out. You are the Lord Almighty. How, how shining all the stars in glory. Your love is like the wildest ocean. Oh, nothing else can be. If you're here today and you need prayer, I want you to come forward. We want to pray for you. You may need healing in your body. You may need a financial miracle. God's able.
such a good, good neighbor. <laughs> You've shown us your love and that Christ came and gave his life for us. We pray today that you might help empower us to give ours to him, to you. Help us to be able to show your love to others so we can be that good neighbor. We give you praise for it in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to pray one more time for the food that's outside. Immediately after service, you can make your way outside. We'll be, uh, Chili is going to be judged. We'll be presenting awards out there. There's smoked chicken, there's hot dogs, there's chili. So you know what to do with the hot dog, right? You smother it with chili. I did not bring any onions because I want to talk to you all. <laughs> so, uh, but we're going to pray for the food and the fellowship. Father, we thank you for the opportunity you give us to gather as family. I pray, God, your blessing over the food that you'll, God, just bless those, Father, that prepared this. Lord, multiply it back to them, God. Cause their cupboards to be full, their refrigerators to overflow. We pray for the fellowship, God, that you'll just let us be able to enjoy your presence in one another. And we give you praise for that in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. We love you. We'll see you next week.